Great joy to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Eric Lipscomb. Eric is the RUF staff worker at Columbia, where he's been for the last 10 years, or he's coming up to 10 years. Um, RUF uh, stands for Reformed University Fellowship. It is the uh, campus ministry of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And this wasn't planned, but I think it's kind of fitting that on a Sunday where we're honoring our high school graduates and kind of sending them off, that uh, we're going to have a college minister here preaching the word. And uh, just a personal note, Eric has had a busy morning. Um, his family, he has two young boys, um, are headed off to family vacation to Orlando. So he dropped his family off at the airport this morning, and then he's coming to kick off his vacation with us. So hopefully he and we will be refreshed by God's word. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, it is really great for me to be with you. And uh, I saw many young kids, and you know, any, any moment away, I love my dear boys, but a moment away is, uh, almost does feel like a vacation, uh, as, as, as sweet as they are. But uh, yeah, as, as Dan said, uh, my name is Eric Lipscomb. I am the RUF campus minister uh, at Columbia University. And uh, RUF, we are, uh, as, as Dan said, the, the, the denominational ministry uh, that, we, that we have. Um, we have on about 170 campuses across the country. Um, and really, our, our, our sort of hope is to send pastors uh, to college campuses to serve college students, to uh, reach those who don't know Jesus with the gospel, uh, and to equip those who do to follow Jesus faithfully during college and hopefully for the rest of their lives. And so um, it's been a, just an amazing privilege to be a campus minister. To, uh, we actually moved to New York to start the ministry at Columbia uh, in 2014. And so, uh, and it's sweet. Now uh, Dan's middle daughter, Annalie, sorry to, sorry to shout you out, Annalie, uh, but she's been a part of our, our ministry. It's been a really jo joy to get to know her as well. Um, and yeah, if, if just for, for those college seniors who are here, uh, I just want to implore you, wherever you go, uh, if there is a campus ministry, um, RUF or, or something, um, to, to invest yourself in that, to, to think of college not just as a place where I will grow professionally, but where the Lord is going to meet you and where he will grow you personally and in your, in your faith as well. Um, so let me just, uh, just, just uh, you know, a little point of personal privilege there before we, we jump in today. But um, well, what we're going to do today... So we're going to look together at uh, Psalm 23. Uh, if, if you're here and you're a Christian or you've grown up in the church, you've been in the church a long time, uh, you know this is probably maybe the most famous psalm. Um, and what I want you to do today is, is to maybe give fresh ears to a familiar text. Um, I want to invite you to sit in this uh, work of art with me. Um, uh, maybe last year or two years ago, there was, at least in Manhattan, there was a, um, an immersive art exhibit of, of Van Gogh. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you go to the MoMA in, in Manhattan, right, you can look at Starry Night, and it's amazing. Um, but if, if you went to this immersive art exhibit, you were like in Starry Night. You were in one of Van Gogh's paintings. And so um, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, I want us to hopefully immerse ourselves in uh, this painting that David is painting for us. This, not think of this as day to download time, but actually think of this as David inviting you to experience the care and provision of our God. And so, um, yeah, so in a moment we're going we're gonna to read this, but let me just, uh, just before even we do read it, what, what are the Psalms uh, in general? Uh, well, the, the Psalms, this, this book we have is, is 150 different hymns uh, and, and poems uh, that, that serve as the ancient hymn book for the people of God, the people of Israel. And, and, and these are songs that have, in so many ways have shaped the people of God for centuries and centuries. And when you read the Psalms, what you notice is that they actually give full range uh, of expression to all of our emotions. Right? There are Psalms of lament. There are Psalms of joy. There are Psalms of, 
of fear, um, ambivalence, right? right? However you're feeling, there is some psalm uh, in Scripture to, to express how you're doing. And so I think that's in some ways God is doing at least two things when he gives us the psalms. Right? He's, he's giving us words to express ourselves. He's giving us words. He's putting on our lips ways to bring our full, authentic selves to him. And however you're feeling, he's saying, bring, bring yourself to me. Use these words. You can do it. Um, but not only do the psalms express those emotions, they also actually uh, they shape us. So that as we sing these songs, as we appropriate their truths for our lives, that they shape our desires, they orient us towards God and form us more and more into the people that God intends us to be. So that's what the psalms do, and that's why we read them in general, and that's why we're going to read Psalm 23 today. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to read uh, Psalm 23. Uh, I'll read it, and uh, I invite you to, to follow along in your, uh, in your bulletin if you have that. So uh, hear God's word now. Uh, from Psalm 23. Uh, A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For as the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word remains forever. So would you pray with me now as we, as we turn to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Um, you have not remained silent, but you have uh, in your kindness, chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word uh, and through your son, Jesus. And so I pray now that as we, as we come to this, by your spirit, you would uh, grow us. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open to receive the goodness and truth and beauty that is contained here in Psalm 23. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I, as I said just briefly before um, our scripture reading, right, the, the psalms are, are, are shaping, shaping us, right? They are, they are meant to uh, enable us to do something. Uh, what is it that Psalm 23 is enabling us to do? Well, I think most, most basically as I've thought about it, uh, it is actually enabling us uh, to deepen our confidence in God, to deepen our confidence in his care, that, that in any life circumstance we may find ourselves in, that we can go to God, that we can be confident that he is with us and that he is for us. And so why do, we, why do we need that? Well, if you've uh, looked at the calendar, you know that uh, summer is upon us. Um, we are about to enter this season where maybe the pace of life changes up a little bit. Uh, and maybe you are rightfully looking forward to uh, a change of pace from the grind of life that's been going on, right? As, as Dan noted, I'm, I'm looking forward to a vacation very soon. Um, but, but, but in the midst of it, just kind of coming out of the, the grind, right, the, the, the normal pace of life, Right? We, we need something beyond just a change of circumstance to look to, right? Because, uh, you know, that, that feeling of, of, of grind, right? That, that, that perpetual to-do list that never seems to get any shorter, right? Or, or maybe just the sitting with frustration of, of a relationship with someone you care about that isn't quite straight. Um, maybe, maybe just the frustration of working long hours. Uh, maybe the frustration of, of underemployment or unemployment. Uh, maybe you're just constantly running your children around from activity to activity, right? Just experiencing the grind, the weight of that, the tenseness in your shoulders, right? How do, how do we handle that? Well, again, I, I know, like, looking to vacation myself, I'm like, oh, man, if I just get to vacation, then it'll all be okay. Or other times I say, you know, no, 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 I, look, I, I can handle this. I've got this. 
Um, you know, this sort of assertion of self-confidence, right? You know, just lace up my Nikes, I can do it. Uh, you know, I'm just going to pick myself up and push myself through. Right? Other times I find myself just resigned, like it's just, uh, I, I can't do anything. I'm just, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, uh, I, I don't feel confident. And, and so then in those moments I look to the sort of the change of circumstance, right? That's going to be the thing that, that, that makes things better, that, 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 that refreshes me. And yet, as, as we all know, vacations come and go, months go by, and more often than not, if I'm in that mindset, I just find myself right back in that same place of, of stress, of tiredness, of frustration. And so how do we endure the grind, or how do we move through that? Well, the Christian, I think, has, actually has another tool in our belt, right? We are given this song in Psalm 23 to sing and to own this truth. And it is not a song of self-confidence. It's not a song of resignation or one of temporary relief. It is a song of confidence in the God who gives rest to his people. Right? We sing confidently of this God who in the grind of life, in the darkest valley even, still guides us, still protects, still comforts you. And so I think this can enable us to endure this grind by growing our confidence in the Lord. That if you will read this, if you will own this song, you may just experience God's faithfulness and his nearness in a life-changing way. Right? And so how does God, God do that? Or, or how does God do that through David? Um, well, what he does, again, we, as we said, this is, I think of this as like this immersive art exhibit displaying God's character all around us. And he's not, David's not just simply de- describing God with adjectives. Um, he's painting us this sort of dual-paneled uh, painting, uh, one of sort of coupling these two images or these two metaphors together. So uh, one is of God, kind of verses one through four, right? God is the, the good shepherd. Uh, and then verses five and six, God is the generous host. And so we're going to look at those two things together today, just two things. Um, God is the generous shepherd, or God is the good host. Get my things God is the good shepherd, and God is the generous host. And so uh, asking two questions, why does it matter that God is our good shepherd? And then how does this generous host give us hope? So first, um, why does it matter that God is our good shepherd? And, and as I thought about that, I think it matters because as I look at this passage, and then I think about my own life, um, at least verses one through three, right, my life looks almost nothing like this, right? And so, you know, even just verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, right? Now, I want you to think about every advertisement you, you see on a regular basis or you've ever seen. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, that is just a reminder that you are lacking something, right? It's pressing on your sense of need, your sense of lacking something, um, but it's offering you a, a sort of kind of hope, right? It's saying, you know, you may be lacking, but if you just use our dating website, then you will be, you'll be filled up. Or if you try our hair product, or if you just taste the newest flavor of Doritos, right, you will be satisfied, right? Ads start by kind of pressing on our feelings of emptiness, but then offer us hope by way of, you know, retail therapy or redemption by consumption. And in, what, in contrast to that, what David is describing here, what he is offering is a perpetual state of fullness, right? He's saying, I actually don't have that same, I lack nothing, right? I have all I need. Why? Because God is my source of care and guidance, right? The Lord is my shepherd, Right? And David, we don't know when in his life he's writing this, but, but it's possible that he's writing this as he is the king of Israel, right? the most important, strong, and powerful person in the kingdom. And yet David himself identifies as a sheep under the care of God. Right? And of course, David, before, you know, way back when, had been a shepherd himself, right? 
And so he actually knows what a shepherd does. He knows how intimate this is. Right? He knows he's using an intimate metaphor, right? Sheep live among their sh- uh, shepherds live among their sheep. Right? They care for their flock with them. They sleep in the field with them. They provide for their needs. And David is saying, God is the one who is making me lie down in green pastures. He is the one leading me beside the still waters. He is the one refreshing my soul. And I think David is trying to stir our hearts to envision what a life under the provision and care and guidance of this God could look like. Right? And, and this is why I think David pictures God as a shepherd here. Right? You know, other Psalms, if you read through, they reference God as, as, as a king or he's a, uh, you know, a fortress, or he's a warrior. But here, God is a shepherd. It's meant to convey, convey intimate care. Right? This God, our God, my God, is near, and he's involved in my life. <clears throat> and I think that, therefore, you know, just David is pushing back on any notion we may have, right, that, that God is somehow distant, or that a relation with, relationship with him is simply equivalent to like, acknowledging a set of ideas or propositions. Because right? here what David says is God is the one who's taking you by the hand. He's bringing you to the place of refreshment. Right? And notice that God is the main actor. Right? He is the one, and again, these first three verses in particular, he is leading, he is guiding, he is doing the things. Right? He is restoring, he is refreshing. Right? The Lord is the subject. And so what does that make us? Well, for all you English majors, you, you remember, right? Uh, it makes us the direct object. The, the, the one to whom God is showing his love. Right? We are the objects of his love uh, and restoration. You are the object of God's love and his care. Now, let me, let me just pause for, for a brief moment. Um, because I, I know that, you know, again, because our lives are so often dissonant from uh, these first three verses, that we can, we can read this and, and maybe it doesn't even land. Right? Maybe it sounds so far-fetched. Maybe it sounds so, um, you know, idyllic, uh, overly idyllic. You know, the green pastures, the still waters, right? Uh, you know, if you're, if you're cynical, maybe you're even like, give me a break, man, come on. I understand that. I, I think that that's, that's, that's very real. Right? Because if, if, you, if you're anything like me, again, we, I'm a person who is you're just constantly on the move, right? Uh, between working, uh, chasing children around, uh, worrying about the future, what, whatever it is that you have going on, kind of taking up your mental bandwidth. Right? That, that makes it hard to imagine this place that David is describing, right? Utterly peaceful utterly serene, right? In some ways, incomprehensible. And then with that, we're, we're tempted to just kind of write that off as like a, man, that must be nice. Or like, who has time to get there? Who, who could possibly go to that space? Right? The, the, the sort of the can't stop, won't stop pace can, can make it hard to imagine an alternative. But in that, we often never even stop to ask the question, why? Like, not, it just like, it can't happen. But we don't ask the question, why can't my life, or why doesn't my life look more like this scene. And I, and I know that there are, are a thousand complications and a thousand qualifications in ways that, that your life may not, reasons why it might not look like this. Um, but maybe just let me address maybe some of us, um, at least for myself, right? I think the reason, at least that for me, that I am uneasy with this kind of stillness is because I actually have like a weird sense of pride in my own busyness. Like that, that, that some, of the, some of the choosing is, is volitional, right? Some of, the, some of the doing is volitional. I can, I'm choosing to do more than I have to, right? And, and, and if I'm honest, I, as I reflect, I, I have noticed that in my life, I have used busyness or used kind of just doing things as a way to paper over the feelings of insecurity or insignificance. 
Right? I, I want to feel important, and so I, I make myself busy, right? I, I, I numb my restless heart by being busy. Right? My life doesn't look like this level of contentment, and so I busy myself. Right? It doesn't look like this pace, place of peace and rest. But David would say, actually, it could. Right? And, and here's the, 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 I heard it put this way, and I thought this was so brilliant. Right? In, in a world uh, that's shouting at you to hurry up and matter, Right, hurry up and do something significant. Hurry up and be somebody. The invitation from the Lord here is God with a tender voice saying, be still. Be still and know that I am your God, that I am your shepherd. Right, that, that God is saying, I will guide you. I will give you this rest. And again, that is independent of circumstances. Right? Verse 4 uh, again moves away from the, the scene of the, the meadow. And it goes into the, the, the valley of dark shadow or the valley of the shadow of death. Right? And David is saying, even though I walk in this valley, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me. Right? David has, has left that easy place and is now in the most dark and difficult place he can imagine. And yet he knows that God has not abandoned him. In fact, in that moment, he actually leans in closer to God. Right? He, he stops referring to the Lord in the third person. Right? He leads, he guides. He starts referring to him as, as the second person, right? You, God, you lead, you, God, you protect. Right? The, the shepherd who was out front is now walking side by side with David, right? This is beautifully personal in the moment of greatest need. Right now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I read this and I just, I just appreciate the honesty here, right? The psalm is not a promise of a comfortable life. Like, if you just believe in God, like, life is all roses and fairies, fairy tales or whatever, you know, like... He's saying there is going to be challenge. There is going to be difficulty. There is going to be brokenness. But David's saying even in the face of that, even in the midst of the grind of life, right, at the point of danger, at the point of your fear, at the point of uncertainty, right, God is remaining near to you even in that dark place, and he is protecting you. Right, David looks out and he sees the tools of the shepherd defending the sheep from predators. Right, your rod and your staff, they give comfort to me. And so if God is this good shepherd, if this is who he truly is, then there's a question for each of us, I think. And that's this, are you going to follow God or will you try to go your own way? Right? Will you follow the Lord as he guides you and tries to direct you to this place of restoration and refreshment? Or will you try to get there on your own? Will you follow the good shepherd as he leads you in the paths of righteousness or right paths? Right? Will you take God's moral instruction as a, as a blessing, not a burden placed on your life? Will you look on his commandments as a gracious provision to you, not trying to shackle you down? Will you take God's word seriously? Will you heed his instruction? Will you follow him, or will you try to go your own way? Right? What, what does it look like to follow God? Let me just mention one, I think, again, pertaining to this passage, right? Again, our, you know, Exodus 20, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, the Fourth Commandment, um, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, right? This, is in, this command and invitation to rest. And again, I, you know, I have deep sympathy for those of you with young children. Like, there, there's, that's, that ain't happening, okay? Like, but, um, but otherwise, or, or even in that, like, what does it look like to rest in the Lord, even in that space of hecticness and waking up at 5 a.m. and waking up in the middle of the night? Right, right, do we make time with the Lord a priority, right, in, in, in some way? Right, I mean, how is it that we're going to find, uh, you know, the quiet place by still water if we are always in perpetual motion? 
Right? God, yes, in, in, in you know, the Ten Commandments, he commands rest, but he doesn't command something that he is not going to provide for you in abundance. Right? He doesn't command us to do something that he will not enable us and meet us in. Right? He's saying, you can be confident in my care for you. You can be confident in my love for you. And so our confidence is ultimately in God's guidance and protection. Right? David's needs and desires continue to be met by God, and he's inviting us to know this same shepherd-like care that the Lord would have for us. Right? But David doesn't only envision God as a shepherd. Right? It's sort of, you know, kind of, again, we said this is dual-paneled painting. And so at the end of verse 4, it's like, uh, you know, the end of the scene or end of the act, right? The, the curtain closes. Uh, and when it re- reopens in verses five, uh, verse 5 and 6, uh, it, it, we've shifted. We've shifted the scene. We've now gone from outside in the grass or, or outside and down in the valley uh, to inside an ornate banquet hall. And what we see is that God is the generous host of an amazing party. And so how does this generous host, how does seeing God as our generous host give us hope? <clears throat> well, if you were to uh, peruse my family's Netflix feed, uh, you would notice a high percentage of uh, British period pieces. Um, I'll, I'll put that on my wife mostly. Um, you know, recently she's been watching The Crown, um, but one we actually watched and enjoyed together was uh, Downton Abbey. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Uh, maybe you've seen it, or even if you haven't, you sort of maybe you've seen some of the pictures of uh, in this beautiful castle, this hall. Um, and every night they have these amazing grand dinners, right? Like a, like a Tuesday night dinner at Downton is nicer than any meal I've ever been to. <laughs> um, but every once in a while, again, if you've seen Downton Abbey, when, a, when an honored guest comes to town, like. They go uh, above and beyond, right? They, they turn up and they go all out. And they have this extravagantly lavish feast, right? They, they break out the fine silver. You know, Miss, Miss Patmore is buzzing around downstairs in the kitchen. Uh, you know, Mr. Carson is, is just, you know, whipping the footmen into shape. And then they've hired extra footmen to help everything. They bring out the finest wines and the, the most decadent desserts. Uh, and then after dinner, you know, there's, there's live music and there's dancing. It's this amazing feast, Right. And, and, and when I think of what David is envisioning in verse 5, right, that's kind of the, the picture I have. Right? There's an honored guest who has come to town, and we need to go up and go all out for them. But the question is, who in this text is the honored guest? Right? It, is, it is you. Right? It's me. Right? We are the honored guests at this feast that God is throwing. God is, is throwing this party for you. Right? He is anointing your head with oil, right? the sign of blessing and of refreshment. Right? He says right, your cup is overflowing. Right? Like, just imagine the best wine you've ever had right? is like sloshing out of your glass. It is, it is, it is like extravagant. It is like bordering on embarrassing how abundant this is. And it doesn't even matter because God's store of this great wine is so inexhaustible it, you know, it's okay that it's sloshing around. You don't, you don't feel bad or self-conscious about it. Right? It is a sign of God's generosity. It is a sign that you could never deplete God's supply. It's this vivid picture of God's excessive grace, this wildly extravagant, right? that he is giving you more than just the bare essentials. Right? This party is so grand, it is excessive. It is a picture of God's abundant generosity towards you and towards me. Right? And what that says is that, I think to me at least, is that you just haven't survived the grind, you haven't survived the valley, that threat. But, and somehow, in some way, that has actually been the path God has taken you on in this road to victory and to rejoicing. Right? Because, again, did you notice who was there in verse 5? Right? He says, you have prepared this table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
All right, now who are those enemies? Well, David, David doesn't say, right? We, if, you, if you know that's the life of David, you know that he faces many enemies, uh, people who want his life, King Saul, uh, Philistines, many, many, many others. Um, they may be external people. They may be other antagonists. They may be false friends. Um, I guess it's possible they're internal struggles, right? This loneliness or insecurity or fear. It's left ambiguous for us here. But whatever the case is, whoever they are, what you see is that the, the enemies are there and they're present and they are watching you be treated like royalty. Right? That they whose attacks have been and felt so real can do nothing to stop the generous host. Right? The victory has been won. The celebration is on. Right? Those enemies may still jeer and they still may taunt, but they can't harm you. They can't touch you. Right? And, and I think this is meant to be this picture for us of eternal life with God. Right? Yes, he is the good shepherd who's with you in the moment, but he is also the generous host who wants nothing more than to celebrate you, to celebrate with you. And what David is trying to give us is a vision for where life with God is headed. David is saying, I want to invite you to envision how God is moving us towards this vision, how God is repairing today's brokenness and moving us all towards wholeness. But this is a hopeful vision. And yet we won't sort of experience or, or realize this fully in this life. We are not home yet. And so how does God sustain us in the meantime? Well, again, we, we get the beginning of verse 6. Surely goodness and love right, shall follow me, right? And, and, and this love, right, this, um, you know, in the Hebrew, there's, uh, scholars have said there's likely this play on words, right? So that, that word love uh, is this word hesed. It often is translated as, as faithfulness or, or steadfast love. Um, and it's, it's, it's a picture of, of God's covenant commitment to his people, and, and, and there's like this play on words because the, 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 when in verse 1 he says, I lack nothing. That word is haser. And so I think the idea is that your haser, your lack, is replaced by God's hesed. Right? That your lack is filled up by God's love. Right? That the God meets us in our want, in our lack, with his love. And now, honest reflection, what have I done to deserve this? Like, I haven't done anything. In fact, it is given to me in spite of or despite my failures and my wanderings, right? David, again, he's referred to himself as a sheep under God's care, right? And again, if you think about it, that comparison, that is not the most favorable thing, right? No one wants to be called, you know, sheeple. Uh, no one wants to think they are vulnerable or, or, or prone to wander away. Again, we, in, you know, in our confession today, uh, you know, we read Isaiah 53, right? We, like sheep, have gone astray, Right? We are people who are, are foolish enough or, or ignorant enough to wander away from this God. Right? The, the good shepherd, the generous host. Right? We, we, wander, we, we, we avoid the feast or we, we ignore it. Um, and really the Bible says that is actually the heart of our, our wrongdoing, the heart of our sin. Is that we would place confidence in ourselves instead of uh, in God. Right? Therefore we, we try to live according to our own plan. Right? My will be done, God, instead of thy will be done. We walk away from the good shepherd. We walk away from the generous host. We, like sheep, we go astray. Or like an ungrateful child, we, we turn away from God. We don't acknowledge his goodness, his love, and his care for us. And yet, how does he repay that faithfulness, unfaithfulness? He meets us with grace. He meets us with forgiveness. He invites us to return to him to find that rest and that delight. How is that possible? 
Well, if you, if you think back to our New Testament reading from earlier today, right, uh, you have the, we read uh, John 10 and these beautiful words of Jesus, right, where he says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right? And you see, if you know the story of Christianity, you know that it is when you were wandering, God pursued you. That Jesus Christ left the 99 to go after you, to go after the one. And he wants to bring you home. He wanted to bring you home. And if you do not know him, he wants to bring you home. Right? That Jesus Christ paid the cost of your unfaithfulness through his own death on the cross, and now gives you his spirit as a comfort and a guide and a protector. And if you keep reading through the story of Scripture, you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation 19, and how does John, again, recording Jesus' words, how does he then depict the joy and delight of eternal life with God? It's an extravagant feast, right? It is this marriage supper of Jesus with his bride, the church, his beloved people, you and me, together with him at this most beautiful and ornate wedding reception you've ever been to, right? The party to end all parties, right? It is the confident hope of the Christian faith that Jesus' death and resurrection have secured your seat at that party, at the Father's eternal banquet table, right? Jesus died to pay the cost for your sins, and he rose again from the grave as the first fruits of that coming day when we will all feast with God, right? When every tear will be wiped away, when every valley of shadow will be put away, there will be no more struggle, no more grind. And so that is why we can sing along with David. We can own this song. We can appropriate it in our own lives and say, yes, in fact, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? What a joy and a hope to have before us. And so as, as we walk back into the normal hecticness of life, the grind that, that just faces us Monday to Saturday, every single week. Friends, if Christ Jesus is your shepherd, then you can sing this song confidently, that the Lord will deal tenderly with you. He will vindicate you, that you are the direct object of the good shepherd's love. You will be the honored guest of this most generous host, that as you seek to endure the grind, would you look to Jesus would you allow him to guide you to the still waters of his grace and to enjoy the abundant riches of his deep love? Let me pray as, as, as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you have sent your son Jesus um, and that you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are our good shepherd and are our generous host. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would enable us to immerse ourselves in this truth, that it wouldn't just be something we look at and then put down and don't think about ever again, but it would actually be something that we live in light of, um, something that deeply impacts our hearts, something that enables us to rest and to find comfort and delight and hope, even in the midst of a world uh, that is racing around us, um, even as we are busy, as we are tired, um, as we are lonely. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would meet us in that with the refreshment of your word and the refreshment of your spirit. Um, Lord, thank you uh, that you love us and you care for us. Thank you that you do call us our sheep and that when we are wandering, you pursue us and you bring us back to you. Lord, thanks for your love. Thanks for your kindness. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.